Welcome to another episode of Best Day, Worst Day. In this episode, I interview Bastian Fox Phelan. Bastian is a writer, musician and zine maker living in Newcastle, Australia. Hi, I'm Bastian Fox Phelan. I'm a writer, musician and zine maker and I live in Malubinba, Newcastle on the land of the Awabakal people. And I pay my respects to Awabakal elders past, present and emerging and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. I've been living in Malibinba, Newcastle for a bit over three years and I've also spent a lot of time in Sydney and grew up in Wollongong, lived briefly in Berlin. Yeah, I am really interested at the moment in rock pooling, so going and checking out all the rock pool creatures in this area and I'm doing a PhD at University of Newcastle in the field of eco-memoir and my memoir, which is my first book, is due to be published this year with Duramondo. My memoir is a coming-of-age story. A lot of it is to do with gender identity and also my path to becoming a writer and musician. (laughs) What it begins with is something particular about me that I have had to think about in different ways for a long time, which is that I'm a female-assigned person who can grow facial hair and who identifies as quite gender fluid. (laughs) My pronouns are they or she. I asked Bastian to explain a bit more about the field of eco-memoir. Eco-memoir is a genre that is kind of not quite defined yet, but I'm thinking about it in terms of similar to nature writing, but it's looking a little more closely at your personal connection to the local ecology and bound up within that as a settler colonial writer, it's a deep engagement with what it means to be on Aboriginal land, on stolen land, and just thinking through some of the really complex problems that are associated with living in a post-industrial or even 
still quite industrial city, Kamalubinba, Newcastle is, and thinking about climate change and also trying to build better relationship with local elders and learn about Indigenous ecology. I asked Sebastian how it feels to have a memoir coming out. I'm really excited for my memoir to come out. I'm still putting the finishing touches on it. So I have a little bit of work to do before it is ready to go out into the world. But I'm super excited to share it because I've been working on it for a long time, probably over seven years. And it's been such a journey. It's really taught me how to be a writer. And it's been really interesting to see how I've grown and changed as a person and in my relationship to gender and my body and my facial hair during the process of of writing the memoir. Yeah, it's something that I really hope is going to bring a lot of joy to the people who read it. Yeah, I hope that it just gives people a way to see themselves in the writing. That'll be amazing. Or if they have never heard of a person like me, (laughs) I hope that it can open their world a little bit more. I would really like it to be a celebration of the beauty of difference and of finding your voice in the world. I asked Bastian about the move to Newcastle. I had been overseas on a writing residency in in Finland and I had had this kind of moment of realisation that I really wanted to be living in a more natural place or closer to beaches or in a kind of quiet place, I guess, because I'd, I'd been living in Sydney for a few years and had just not quite connected with Sydney in the kind of past year that I'd been living there. And I'd also been having some experiences of street harassment that had been quite challenging. So my last year living in Sydney was kind of like marked by these negative experiences and at the same time kind of feeling a little bit disconnected from the queer community. So I kind of felt like I didn't quite have that support to balance these negative experiences that I'd had. And I guess in some ways it was also an interesting time for me in terms of how I was presenting because I had gone from, you know, in the early days of I came out as trans and I was presenting in quite a masculine way and identifying that way to realising that I wanted to present in a more feminine way and I guess I still had my facial hair and I think that the combination of those things just made me stand out in a way that I hadn't stood out as much previously. So I was getting quite a bit of negative attention on public transport or when I went out and there were a few experiences that really stood out in my mind and one of them was going to a bar in Newtown on King Street where you would sort of think, you know, it's like the middle of Sydney's neighborhood. I should be safe there. <laughs> but these two guys in a bar had taken a photo of me without permission. And it had been really hurtful because obviously it's really invasive. And I kind of felt at the time like I couldn't really do anything about it because it was difficult to prove that that was what they had done. But I could tell from the situation that they'd, they'd pointed the smartphone in my direction. It had used like a flash indoors, which whoever uses flash these days <laughs> indoors, I don't know. But like 
yeah, I could just tell that something was up there. And, you know, after years of being somebody who is like visibly between the binary, you sort of get accustomed to knowing when people are giving you negative attention. And I'd had some other experiences just being on, on the bus coming home from work and having a man just stare at me the whole trip and looking back at him and being like, I can see you looking at me. And no response, just horrible kind of like cold look in their eyes, which to me kind of says, I don't really see you as a human being. And I'd gotten really frustrated with all of these experiences. So I had started giving it back to people, which I'd always been too afraid to do in the past. And in some ways it was kind of liberating. Another time at a pub, some guys were looking at me and talking about me and I had like jumped up and and like yelled at them and they were quite apologetic and it was kind of almost like a funny experience, like it felt a little bit more triumphant. But yeah, usually these experiences just left me feeling really drained and sad and another time I was walking home from the bus and this guy said to me like, oh, you know, have you thought about shaving And I just like lost it at him and just was like yelling at him on the street and then ended up in this situation where I was like yelling at him in like a Bunnings car park. (laughs) And then he started to like subtly threaten me and I was like, oh, this is a really bad situation. Like this is really dangerous. Yeah, so I had had a lot of these kind of like traumatic experiences just layered all on top of each other so I think maybe part of the reason of wanting to move to Newcastle was also just to have a little bit of space you know from being around lots of people all of the time. I think things got a little bit better when I moved to Newcastle but on on the other hand I kind of moved into a phase where I was spending a lot of time alone and partly that was because I was finishing off my research master's which was I'd been writing my memoir Then I enrolled in a research master's program and I was doing the middle part of my book as my creative major work. So I'd been spending a lot of time thinking about about female facial hair and non-binary identity and harassment and how do I fit into the world and all those sorts of things. So I was at my house or at my studio. I had a Renew Newcastle studio, which was just like a little cupboard in an old building where no one was ever there. (laughs) It was amazing to have my own writing studio. But on the other hand, it was pretty isolating. And, you know, I was coming to the end of my master's a few months after I moved to Mullabimba, Newcastle. And everything just kind of like piled on top of me. I think I just like felt all of the weight of my past experiences. And when you're writing or researching about your experiences, about especially about heavy experiences, it can just get a lot to manage like, oh, here's my everyday life where I still have some negative interactions with people. And here's all of this work that's taking up my whole brain, you know, and you just never have a break from it. You know, it it always takes a while to build up your friendships and your community connections when you move to a new place. So I hadn't really invested that much time in it because I'd been like so focused on getting all this work done. So I think for the first nine months of living here, in some way it was a relief from previous experiences and in other ways it was just like, oh, now I have to sit with all of those experiences and process them and think about how do I want to write about these experiences as well? 
I asked Bastion if they could generalize about who was harassing them. It's interesting because I think that it was mostly cis men who gave me negative attention. And like maybe sometimes I would get a funny look from a cis woman. Of course, I'm assuming their identity by looking at them, which is never a good idea. But um, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of like a lot of men in their 20s to kind of 40s or 50s seem to be the demographic. (laughs) I asked Bastion about the LGBTIQA plus community in Sydney and whether or not they were supportive while they were experiencing the harassment. When I'd first moved to Sydney, I had been really involved in the community and felt so surrounded by lots of different people and especially like surrounded by a really big trans community. So it was, I was in the bubble and the bubble felt safe, but everywhere else was like not that great. And maybe during the later period of living in Sydney, which was after I came back from Berlin. For whatever reason, I just hadn't quite reconnected. Maybe it was sort of an age group thing. I was in my late 20s. The people that I'd known were in their late 20s and maybe people were moving away a little bit from the scene, you know. (laughs) Or it could have also been because I was in a relationship, so I was just hanging out more at home, gardening, (laughs) doing fun things like that. (laughs) But yeah, It was a little bit of an interesting time because I think maybe some of the people that were like my friends at that time were shocked that people would give me such negative attention. And that might have been because they themselves hadn't experienced it because because they weren't gender nonconforming or for whatever reason. I asked Bastion about what writing their memoir has been like and whether it's been at all healing. It's been such a weird and cool experience writing a memoir because... It's made me realize how fluid identity is and that there are these stories that we tell about ourselves, but the stories change at different times and they should be allowed to change. So in some ways it has been healing to write about my experiences. In other ways it's been extremely hard and it's it's still hard when I go back to the manuscript now and I'm like, okay, it's time to like really <laughs> wrap it up and get it out there into the world. It's still challenging because there's this kind of like ongoing question of like, yeah, but who am I really? (laughs) And I think the best answer that I can give to that is that I'm always changing. I asked if Bastian feels any trepidation about the book coming out in terms of how it might be received both by their own community and the broader Australian community. Yeah, I mean, I I have a million what ifs in my mind about how is this going to be received. And I kind of feel like it wouldn't surprise anyone in the queer community to hear that some of my trepidation is around how are people in the community going to react. But for sure, I'm also worried about will I get trolled online? I think the answer is, yeah, I definitely will. It's like everyone gets trolled for the dumbest things. (laughs) But yeah, hopefully I'll be able to kind of protect myself from that. And I think it's more important that that I'm able to share this story and that it'll hopefully spark some really interesting conversations and especially to talk about difficult issues like self-worth and feeling like you're good enough. That's been like a really central theme for my memoir and for the process of writing it. Even though there's like a general consensus within the community that there are so many different ways of being a person, 
I think there can still be a bit of, and I don't even know where this comes from, but like this kind of internalized pressure to be coherent in a certain way. So for your identity as a trans person or even a non-binary person to be coherent. And I don't necessarily feel like my identity is particularly coherent. (laughs) And, you know, in writing about it, you have to try to articulate what your experience is, but it's not always straightforward, I suppose. That's part of it. I don't think I really would consider my memoir a trans memoir, although the time period that I'm writing about covers a time period when I did identify as trans. So there's that. (laughs) So it was a little bit after I'd submitted my master's degree, I was invited to present at the Emerging Writers Festival in Melbourne. And the theme was confessions and the reading was going to be held completely in the dark. And super excited to be involved in the festival, but I think part of me was confessions. I don't have anything to confess to. (laughs) And um, for a long time, I really wrestled with like, what am I going to say at this at this event? And I ended up writing the story pretty much like on the morning that I was heading down to Melbourne and finished the writing it in the in the cafe at the state library. And what I ended up writing about was the experiences that I'd been having since that period of moving from Sydney to Mullabinba, Newcastle, and being quite isolated. And my partner had been away in remote Western Australia working for a month, and it had kind of made me realise, oh, what do I have here? Who do I have here to support me? I'm so isolated and I'm so tired from the work I've been doing and this heavy emotional sifting that I've been doing. And I just I just wrote about that. And I wrote about going to Melbourne and getting on the bus at the airport and and feeling like, oh, I just want to curl up into a little ball in the corner of the bus and I don't want anyone to, to see me here. I'm so afraid of being seen because it leads to these difficult encounters which I don't think I have the energy to deal with anymore so I yeah I arrived in Nam and went to the hotel and for a few days was just kind of like still hanging out by myself in the middle of a big city and then my mom arrived and she stayed with me in the in the hotel and she was coming to see me read at the festival and it was a really wonderful moment because in the early days of my gender journey I'd had some difficult difficult times with my relationship with my mom and this was during a time when things were definitely a lot better it was actually just so lovely to be there with her and yeah and I was just like feeling really excited to share this story which was the story I'd written for the performance ended up being it was like one of the most emotionally raw things I'd ever written and I was actually really afraid to read it especially because I was there was one part where I was I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep it together. I'm, I'm going to start bawling in the middle of this story. I was like really, really worried. I know it's not the worst thing to cry in public, but it was very scary for me. <laughs> and it was to do with Judith Butler's essay on David Reimer called Doing Justice to Someone, which is a really powerful, beautiful essay. And yeah, it was about kind of like me confronting this question of can I continue to exist in the world the way that I am? So, yeah. 
it was a really powerful moment for me writing that writing that story. So on the night, I had a few friends from Melbourne come and see me, and well, not see me because it was in the dark. <laughs> and um, I was the last person to read, and I'd sat in the dark uh, on the stage with all these other amazing performers and listened to their stories which were like emotional and funny and weird. And as I'd been sitting there in the dark, I had just been getting more and more relaxed. I think that's kind of just like the effect of, of sitting in the dark. Your brain just kind of goes, hmm, we can relax now. <laughs> but then it's also so weirdly intimate to be in the dark with strangers. And it kind of reminded me of this time that I was involved in a performance during Sydney Festival called Folk in a Box. It was like a small wooden box that could fit about three people. And so one performer would sit in it and then like one or two people would get into the box and then they would seal it up and then you would sing one or two songs for them. And yeah, I've been singing for like since I was a teenager as well. And I've always loved singing, but I've often felt uncomfortable with people watching me. <laughs> and so it was a really magical time to do this singing performance because it kind of felt like you know my voice is connecting directly with the people who are sitting here and I don't even have to think about being in a body and that's kind of what it felt like to read my story at the Emerging Writers Festival event and it was wonderful to be able to, to have, have taken these negative experiences of street harassment and turn them into something which was able to be shared with other people and something that had been transformed into art and kind of felt like all the times that I'd been frustrated because I couldn't use my voice I had been like silenced by people looking at me talking about me or otherwise giving me negative attention and and the experiences where I had yelled back at people but it had made me feel sometimes vindicated other times more afraid but generally just felt pretty shit afterwards no matter how the actual interaction went instead I kind of felt like okay here I am reading my story sharing my voice in a way that feels powerful and transformative to me you can actually listen to it on the Queer Stories podcast because I ended up performing it again at Queer Stories. The last little bit of my story is it was so wonderful to share that, share this story with, with the audience of people I didn't know and with my friends and with my mom. And to celebrate afterwards, my two of my friends from Nam took me to a karaoke bar which is probably one of my favorite places in the world <laughs> and my two friends are brilliant singers so we just had such an awesome time singing and towards the end of the night I got up and sang a Dusty Springfield song called The Look of Love which several years ago I put on a Dusty Springfield tribute show at the Red Rattler and I had sung this song and it's like it's such a slow romantic song it's not your average karaoke song <laughs> but there was just this beautiful moment when I was singing and the room just slowed down and then everyone grabbed a partner and, and started slowly dancing with them and it was such a beautiful moment of feeling connected to everybody in the room even though I didn't know them and it just kind of made me feel like this is what I want to do in the world. I want to share my story and I want to bring more love into the world. Singing is like this mediation between your spirit and your body. You're using your body to make 
the sound, but it's so influenced by how you're feeling and what you're thinking about and how you're breathing and the emotions that come into it. I've never been trained as a singer, so I don't really know technically how do I produce these sounds. It's just something that I've learned intuitively along the way, I guess. And so I just really feel like me when I sing. I think I'm a combination of a very analytical, mentally driven person and a very intuitively driven person. So writing and singing both use those qualities. I think I've always enjoyed expressing myself in writing. It seems like that's something that's been part of who I am for as long as I can remember. And I started making zines when I was 16 or 17 and pretty quickly moved into personal zines, so writing stories about my life. And I don't know, it just seemed like my process of learning about who I am is something that I've always felt a lot of desire to be really engaged in that and to then share that with the world. It is just something that I'm driven to do. (laughs) And I think when I do share these things with people, I can see that it means something to them. So, you know, that keeps you going. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the stuff I feel like the most like about is like. Thank you so much to Bastian for sharing their story with me. And I can't wait to read their book when it comes out later this year. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time. 